Jackson Jolly. I am here at the Forbes BLK Summit with Tuan Davis, who is the CEO of Steinbridge. Welcome, Tuan. Thank you. So good to be here. Yeah, so I'm really excited to have you here, where you just announced um, a $100 million investment in HBCUs to help them activate underutilized property. True. Can you tell me why this is where, you know, you could have donated, you could have made this investment in a lot of different places. Why HBCUs and what, why in the real estate? Absolutely. Well, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. And we're excited about the chance to share and to talk about our work. Uh, so Steinbridge is a real estate investment and asset management and development company. Uh, our focus is impact real estate investing. And so our goal is to try to find areas of impact. And we thought that working with historically black colleges, universities, and other institutions, to help them activate their real estate is a humongous impact investment opportunity. The reality is, is that African-American people, it's just, this is not just an American problem, this is actually a global problem, that there's a sustained um, economic disadvantage to people of African descent, particularly in the Western Hemisphere. We weren't the first people to come to, the, uh, to this part of the world. In fact, 200 years before Africans came to Virginia, the Portuguese were taking them to Brazil. And that sustained economic disadvantage that exists for us also exists for black people around the world. There is a bright light there, and one of the bright lights in that history has been the historically black college and university. And so when we were going through thinking about how to uh, really impact communities, how to provide uh, opportunities, where to invest, um, where we can impact institutions and individuals, I thought about a sermon by Adam Clayton Powell. He preached a, a sermon in 1968 called What's in Your Hand? And um, in that sermon, he talks about the fact that, you know, David had a slingshot and some rocks. He didn't need the, he didn't need the huge uh, uh, armor. He talked about the fact that, you know, Moses was stressed out at the Red Sea and God asked him, what's in your hand? You've got a rod, the same rod you used in Egypt. And so often I feel like the universe and God is asking us when we face these challenges, when we look at the African-American community and the continued economic disadvantage, what do you have? What's in your hand that you can activate where you can make the difference? One of the primary areas to start was with historically black colleges and universities. Yeah, so what does that mean for those of us? I mean, I think many of us know that HBCUs have been historically underfunded. Right. Um, and yet, to your point, I just read a stat from the United Negro College Fund that said HBCUs are outperforming traditional universities in terms of providing social mobility. Mm. So actually giving someone a degree that not only makes them smarter, right. makes them do better. But when you are choosing to invest in the real estate, how does that help for sure. those of us that aren't That's in the real a fair estate? question. So the re basically reconstruction failed after the Civil War. One of the few bright spots that came out of the reconstruction period was the historically black college and university, the land grant and the non-land grant college of the public and the private. Um, and so our goal is to help them to identify assets that they already own and activate those assets to economically productive uses. We found that that can create anywhere from a 5 to a 30% increase in their endowment by having these, instead of selling these homes, instead of or these properties, instead of selling these other utilized assets, to contribute them to economically productive uses. They can create affordable housing, they can create, uh, and this is not a student housing opportunity. They have student housing, but these are things that they can use to 
create revenue, to create value to the university, and we can partner with them to do that. Often, not only do they not have the uh, uh, capital available, but many times they don't have the, uh, the uh, personnel or the uh, human power to execute on the opportunities that are ahead of them. So we try to help them identify those and to, uh, and to move forward with those opportunities. So just, I just want to make sure I'm understanding. Um, you are inviting HBCUs to, to almost create a brand new um, revenue stream that many of them exactly. aren't thinking about. That's exactly right. So separate from education. That's exactly right. So, and then they, something by which they'll be able to reinvest in themselves. That's exactly right. And so, and we're doing that with HBCUs. We're also doing it with some churches. We're doing it with other nonprofit institutions that have the land but don't have the other resources necessary to move from this level of economic reality to the next. That impacts them, it helps them, it strengthens them, but it also impacts the people that they serve. And so that's really our, the opportunity that exists for us. Okay, and I read um, something that you've said, which is that you believe that real estate um, is the key, getting more black people involved in real estate is the key or a key to creating um, better, more um, empowered communities. Sure. Absolutely. Can you, you know, explain to me what you mean by that? Yeah, absolutely. One of the statistics I refer to is that 40 acres and a mule from 1865, uh, it was $10 an acre, give or take. Those $10, if you adjust for inflation and adjust for um, changes in currency, would be worth about $168,000 today. Well, the gap in median income, or the median net worth, between African-American people and non-African-American people is $165,000. Most of that gap could have been resolved by ownership of real estate, by ownership of real estate. And so I think there exists an opportunity for us to go back to some basic ideas and create wealth from that. I, I don't come from a wealthy family. Uh, my family were slaves in Mississippi, and then after the Civil War, we became sharecroppers in Arkansas. And my uh, great-grandmother, I knew my great-great-grandmother, who was born in the 1890s, her parents were born slaves. My great-great-grandmother, they all moved from Arkansas to the Northwest, to Oregon. And in Oregon, they basically bought four or five houses apiece, my great-grandmother and her sister, sisters. And they would go down to Arkansas and bring people from Arkansas to Oregon during the Great Migration. They built this community that basically helped get those Southerners out of the terrible conditions that they lived in in the South and replaced them and re repositioned them in Oregon for a brighter opportunity. That's my family's history. Now, the challenge of that was by that time I came along, much of that had deteriorated. You had the uh, riots in the 1960s. You had drugs in the uh, uh, 70s. You had gang violence in the 80s and 90s. And so by the time I came along, a lot of that community was decimated. We were on Section 8 for quite some time as a youngster but I still saw the opportunity. Even in my hometown now, the neighborhood I grew up in has been totally regentrified. The neighborhood my grandparents built doesn't exist anymore. And so I thought that there was a real opportunity for real estate in particular to be a catalyst for change, uh, like it was con contemplated quite some time ago. Well, let me ask you this, because I'm so glad that you talked about your origin story, because I do think it's so fascinating and hopefully um, inspirational for other black, entrepreneurs and business um, professionals who are thinking about sure. owning their own destiny, right? Um, but I, something I think a lot about is my parents are teachers. And because of that, um, I've always had a voice. I've always known how to use my voice, whether it's written or verbal. But one thing I didn't know until much later in my life 
was about things like investing in real estate right. and um, stock and, and all of those things. And I think a lot about this because I think sometimes it's hard to even know what you don't know how to do. So how did you, um, how, well, first of all, how old were you when you decided that you were going to be a, a investor? I was, let's see, I knew at 15 that I didn't want to be poor. That was really the impetus. My mother was a single, my mother's a remarkable woman. She's actually here with us today. She's a remarkable woman. My mother raised us by herself. My mother worked two or three jobs at a time. She worked as an assistant for the principal of one of the middle schools. She worked um, at uh, Standard Insurance Company. And at nighttime, she worked at JCPenney, uh, helping people check their stuff out, right? Um, and I saw the challenge of her, but her commitment and her faith in what we could do what we could become. And so at about 15 years old, I thought, you know what? Life doesn't have to be like this. Um, there have to be other opportunities. And uh, I think that at that point, I began to really think about, well, what does that mean for me? What does that mean for the people around me? And I was blessed with a remarkable series of opportunities. I got a great education. Um, and then after that, I worked on Wall Street. After I worked on Wall Street, I uh, went to grad school, and then I went to business school, and then went back to investing in real estate. I then worked for Mayor Bloomberg uh, in the Economic Development Corporation, helping to rebuild New York City after September 11th. And then after that, I was uh, president of a real estate development company. So I feel like when, by the time I got into my early to mid-30s, I had such a remarkable series of opportunities. For me, this is uh, as much of a calling as it is a job. It's much of a calling. You know, I've been asked to run for Congress before. I, uh, my father and grandfather were ministers, and uh, you know, for you know, for 30 plus 40 years, I, I, people, I could have been a preacher. But for me, this is my opportunity to combine uh, the ideas of economic progress and economic opportunity with the message of hope and possibility for people of color in this country. So let me ask you a final question, because I know you and I share, after having talked to you, um, our, our passion, and my passion for um, raising the next generation has to do around journalism and newsroom. Sure. Yours is around, and, and generational wealth, because sure. otherwise I wouldn't be at Forbes. Right. Yours is around, um, you know, creating impact investing. Sure. Do you think about how to educate that next generation of black students, let's say the students at, whether they're at HBCUs or elsewhere, yeah. um, that haven't thought about real estate investment? Um, and may not have the um, luck of working for, and I don't think it was luck, by the way. I think there's a lot of hard work in there, but let's just call it luck. Luck of working for Bloomberg, um, luck of um, finding a great job on um, Wall Street, where I can imagine a lot of your colleagues thought about real estate investing. How do you get that next generation to know that real estate investing can be for them? I mean, one of the reasons why we're working with uh, colleges and universities is to cr exactly create that path. And my path is unique. Um, I went to Georgetown for undergrad, um, and then I worked at Goldman Sachs. Uh, then I got a degree in sociology from Oxford University in the UK. Then I went to Harvard Business School. And then I went and worked for one of the most powerful uh, mayors in the city, in the history of the city. And then I uh, was at a real estate development firm in a large institutional real estate firm. Um, at, you know, there was a point in my life where you know, my family was at or around the poverty line. So to get from there to today is, uh, is statistically unlikely. Um, and so my message to young people is walk with me, right? What is the great, the, the old civil rights song, walk together children, don't you get weary. 
And so for me, it's not just about what I say, but it's about what I do. And it's why we're partnering with HBCUs. I'm starting a foundation, um, and we'll announce kind of the work of that foundation uh, over the next few months um, to do exactly that, to help educate young people in the possibilities that exist for the life that they have today and the life that they want to live. Yeah, well, thank you so much for sharing your story and for sharing your announcement about that investment. Um, I'll keep an eye on everything that you are able to do through HBCUs. I'm sure I'll. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's good to meet you. Spend some time with you. Thank you.